Thanks, guys. Uh, good morning. Good to see you guys. The brave souls braving the coronavirus. Ah, oh, Jesus is worth it, right? All right. So we're in this series called With Christ. And, and if you weren't with us last week, I just want to kind of catch you up a little bit. We started with this idea that there's these two paradoxical truths for followers of Jesus. And it's this, that we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. So the Holy Spirit is in us. That means Christ is in us, his spirit is in us, but there's this other truth that we're wrestling with in this series is that we are in Christ. Somehow, mysteriously, we are in Christ. He is an umbrella, and we're kind of up under him. And so here's what that means. To be in Christ, at least one of the parts of what it means, is to be in Christ means that we are with Christ. We were with Christ in his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension back to the Father, and we are currently with Christ in his enthronement. And so it's kind of a mystery how that's true, right? We asked this question last time. If these things happened over 2,000 years ago, how is it that we are united with Christ in them? How is it that we're here in 2020, and yet somehow we were with him in these events? And so we're going to unpack that a little bit more, but I made this beautiful chart for you. You know, it took a really long time, as you can tell uh, from its graphics. But basically, uh, Jesus died on the cross around 30 AD. It was a historical event, but something else happened there. An eternal action has eternal fruit, right? So he busted into eternity when he did this, forever affecting everything from back into the Old Testament all the way to the, the future forever and ever, right? His sacrifice. His death, his resurrection affected everything for all of eternity. And that's why we can be in 2020, when we give our life to Jesus, that's an eternal action. And that also breaks into eternity. And so we receive his salvation, even though it happened some 2,000 years ago. We get to participate in that. But it also means that we go back and participate with him. Time is no barrier in eternity. And we begin to live the eternal life right now. Right now, we're living the eternal life. So in this season of Lent, as we march toward Easter, we don't just acknowledge the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, although we do, but we also look at our own. What does it mean? Last week, we asked the question, what does it mean that we were crucified with Christ? And this week, we're looking at this truth, that we died with Christ and we were buried with Christ that we were somehow mysteriously with him in his death and with him in his burial in that tomb on that Friday. And so this is where Paul kind of tries to unpack this idea when he's writing a letter to the Roman Christians. He's trying to help them understand this concept. And so we read about it in Romans 6, 1 through 11. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He had just made this argument that anytime sin increases, the grace of God increases to match it. So then he's like, well, I don't want you to think that you should then sin more so that you get more grace. He wants to kind of quell that argument. So he said, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he says, by no means. By the way, when you look in the Greek, that's kind of an expletive. They, they translate that out. But he basically says, hell no, in the Greek. And he says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
right? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified, we talked about this last week, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So he, again, he's highlighting these two truths. We died with Christ and we were buried with him. And he goes on. He says, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then he says this line, in the same way. In other words, in the same way that Christ died. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.10, I like this. He's writing to the Philippians. He says something similar. He just says it in a different way. Here's what he says. He goes, I want to know Christ. You can almost hear the audience writing back to him going, well, Paul, how do we know Christ? And he's like, well, thank you for asking. I'm going to answer that right now. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ, and one way to know him is to know the power of his resurrection, to be living in resurrection power. That's one way to know Christ, but then he continues and the power of participation in his sufferings. See, participating in the sufferings of Christ also has a power to it. It's also a way to get to know Christ, is to identify in the sufferings that he went through, and then specifically, he says, becoming like him in his death. So here's the question. What does it mean to count yourself dead to sin in the same way as Christ? Or another way of asking it is, What does it mean to become like him in his death? How do we become like him in his death? What does that even mean? Well, notice here that he lists some things about his death that we can glean from, right? The first one is this. He died once, so he's not going to die again. Paul says he cannot die again. He died once, rose from the grave. He's not dying again. Jesus is alive right now. We don't worship a dead Savior. He's alive. But here's the implication for us. If we die with him, we will not die again. Yes, our bodies will die, but we'll just get a new body. In other words, we will keep living. We'll just, death becomes just a transition from one kind of life to another kind of life. Because we've entered the eternal life right now, and that will just keep going. So if we choose to give our life to Jesus, we're choosing that that is our death. That's the moment of our death when we give our life to Jesus. And then we won't die again. We'll have an eternal life. Number two, death has no mastery over him. And what does that mean for us? It means death, the threat of death, the fear of death, the fear of the coronavirus, for instance, will have no mastery over us. It will have no mastery over us. Why? Death had no mastery over Jesus. And if we identify with his death, if we die with him, which is what we're saying we've done as Christians, then death cannot be a threat against us. You know that every power, every government power that has ever oppressed a people, death is the threat, right? The threat of Rome was, if you don't get in line, you're going to be crucified. Jesus said, okay, I'll be crucified. But see, now no other threat of death has any power over us. And we don't get this as Americans, but do you know, this is why the persecuted church around the world doesn't fear death. 
I mean, we read stories about the persecuted church, and they're just willing to do anything for Jesus because he's worth it. They're willing to go to prison and to be put to death. Why? They don't fear death. Why? Because they've already died. Do you see that they get the point that they've already died? What are you going to do to me? I've already died. What more can you do to me, says the persecuted church? We got to get a hold of this, American church. We got to get a hold of this. All right, number three. He died to sin, it says. He died to sin once and for all. We have died to sin. That's what it means. When we identify with his death, it means we have died to sin. That means we consider ourselves dead to sin. When we look in the mirror, we don't look in the mirror and say, man, what a sinner. We look in the mirror and we say, I'm actually dead to sin. That's my new identity because I've died with Christ. I want to unpack this a little bit more. Some of the translations, some of your translations say, count yourself dead to sin. Other translations, if you're reading, will say this, consider yourself dead to sin. This is the Greek word, logizeste, and it means the same thing, but we find it in a couple different places in the New Testament. Here's one of them. In John 11, the Pharisees are arguing about killing Jesus. It says, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. This is Caiaphas' argument that why they should put Jesus to death. They're like, look, if we just get killed this guy, it'll save us from Rome coming in and taking all of us out. He uses the same word there. In this translation, in this passage, it means realize or to take into account. Let me give you another verse where this word is used. Philippians 4.8. This should sound familiar to many of you. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's the same word. Consider, dwell on, think about, take into account. That's this word. So when we look in the mirror in the morning, the command of Scripture is that we realize we're dead to sin. We take into the count the truth that we're dead to sin. We consider it. We dwell on it. We come to realize that this is who we really are in Christ. And this has profound implications for, guys, how we view ourselves. Because we can get really down on ourselves for messing up, for sinning, for failing. But what this passage is saying is Paul's trying to get through to us. He's trying to say, no, 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 no. You are dead to sin. Consider yourself, think about yourself, dwell on the fact, realize you are dead to sin. So let me ask this. What usually accompanies death? When a loved one, maybe a grandparent dies or somebody close to us, what usually accompanies death? What's the first thing that came to mind? Just yell it out. Mourning, grieving. That's exactly right. Grief. I want you to consider something maybe you haven't considered before. I say that because I hadn't really considered it before. The death of chronic sin may require a kind of grieving. In other words, your real identity is that you're dead to sin. And what that means is if you find sin in your life, your job is to live out that identity, put it to death. But anytime there's a death, there's a grieving, right? Usually. Now, the one exception is like if a rat is running through your house and it dies, you may not go through a mourning process with that. You may not 
grieve the rat, okay? And some sin is like that, right? Are you guys with me on this? Some sin in your life, you're not grieving that sin. You're like, thank the Lord that is out of my life. But there's other sin, especially chronic sin, that's become such a part of our identity that when we put it to death, what happens if you don't grieve? What happens if you don't grieve something that dies? If we don't go through a healthy grieving process, it can stay with us, right? It, it can stay with us longer than it should stay with us. And that can happen with sin. Let me give you an example. The death of chronic sin usually requires a shift in identity. And so we may need to grieve the death of the old identity. Right? There's this shift where, like, I, I'm not someone who gets drunk anymore. I'm not someone who sleeps around anymore. I'm not that person. That's the old me. I'm the new me. I'm not someone who gossips anymore. I'm not someone who talks about people behind their back. I'm not someone that, that lies anymore. I'm a new identity. And at the same time, if that's been with us for so long, you may actually have to go through, consider this, you may actually have to go through a grieving of the death of your old self in order to let it go. Because if you're in denial about the grief of that, what happens when you're in denial about grief? You get attached to it in a way that it can't let go. What if you were to grieve your old self? Let me give you another example. The death of chronic sin usually requires a shift in comforting mechanisms. So we may need to grieve the old way of comforting ourselves. When I get really depressed, my go-to is, you know, Beth McDonald's cookies, you know, something like that. <laughs> Thank you for bringing those this morning. I appreciate that. It fits in well with the sermon. But if I have to let go of using food as a comforting mechanism, I may need to grieve that death, grieve that comforting mechanism in order to fully let it go. If I've used alcohol, if I've used sex, if I've used anything, an addiction, gambling, whatever it is, to comfort me, then I put it to death. But when I put it to death, you may need to actually grieve its death. Because you'll be in this in-between place where you're not using ice cream to comfort yourself anymore, but you haven't learned how to have Christ comfort you yet, and you're in the in-between. Has anyone ever been in the in-between before? You guys with me on this? You've, you've put this to death, and you're like, I know I can't use that to comfort me anymore, but I haven't developed what it feels like, what the experience of having Christ be the one, because he's supposed to be the one to comfort me, but I'm not there yet, so I'm in the in-between. And in the in-between is when you grieve the death. The death of chronic sin usually requires a shift in our vision for the future. And what this means is you may need to grieve the loss of your plan for the future. You had it planned out. You knew how it was going to go. You knew what life was going to look like. You had X, Y, Z in place. And then it didn't. And so there may need to be this shift in your life. And you may need to actually admit, I had this plan and it's not going to work out that way. And you may need to actually grieve it to lay it down. To step away from it and let it die. I was praying for a, a person one time. I was praying for a, a young, young lady one time. And the Lord gave me a picture of a blank canvas. And what he was telling me to tell her was, you had this picture painted on there, but the Lord wants to give you a new blank canvas. He's writing a new story. But for her, it was the most difficult thing in the world to let go of the old painting that she had painted. 
She had it all planned out. To embrace the blank canvas was scary for her. She had to grieve the last one. I do want to remind you that if this is chronic sin that we're grieving, remember that chronic sin is harmful to us. So yes, you need to grieve it, but remember it's harmful to you as well. You want to leave it in that tomb. You don't want to pick it up again because it can harm us. That's why we're putting it to death in the first place. All right, what usually accompanies death? I think the second thing, if you've ever had a grandparent or anyone die, there's a transference of inheritance. And we are co-heirs with Christ in his kingdom. So when he died, he transferred his inheritance to us. He has, as the son of God, the inheritance of the kingdom. And by him dying, who does that inheritance go to? It goes to us. That was part of why he died for us, is to give us the kingdom as an inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3-4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What inheritance is he talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of God, all the resources of the kingdom, all the fruits of the Spirit. This is our inheritance, and it took Jesus dying to hand us that inheritance. That's how inheritance works. A death, and then it's passed on. And if I'm wrong about that, Zach, you can correct me on my legal, my legal uh, but I think that's how inheritance works, right? Somebody dies and it passes on to the next generation. We're the next generation. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Guys, that is your inheritance, the kingdom of light. I want you to consider this, though. His death allowed him to give us his inheritance. His death allowed him to give us his inheritance. But consider this, our identification with his death, meaning we die too, allows us to give away our inheritance to others. When we choose to die with Christ, when we choose to own the reality that we have died with Christ, it allows us to give that inheritance of the kingdom away to other people. When we put to death the things that need to be put to death, we're able to then take the inheritance that was given and then give it to others. Number three, release from the law. If you're sentenced for a crime and it's capital punishment and you're put to death, do you know you can't be charged again? Why can't you be charged again? You're dead. Yeah, you guys are on it this morning. (laughs) So because we died with Christ, the law has no hold on us anymore. Why? Because we're dead. So what does it mean that we died and were buried with Christ? Well, the first thing it means is that we died to sin. It means we are commanded to consider ourselves dead to sin. But this is the second thing. It's that we died to the law. And by the law, I mean the principles of trying to be good. That was also put to death. In Galatians 2.19, it says, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. What's he saying there? Here's my paraphrase. The law is why I was found guilty. I was a sinner and I broke the law, God's law. The law is what put me on the cross with Christ. The law is what caused my death with Christ. But now that I've died with him, the law does not apply to me anymore. I'm set free from the law. 
Why? Because I died with Christ. He died for me, and I joined him in it. I was with him. Here's how Paul says it in Colossians 2. I use the New American Standard Bible for this one. If you have died with Christ, which is what we're saying this morning, to the elementary principles of the world, that's basically this, this, the principles of trying to be good. Why? He's like sort of critiquing the Colossians. He's saying, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Why are you going back into the law? Why are you trying to be good on your own again when you've died to that? which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. These are teachings of men. Why are you obeying the teachings of men when you've been set free from them? Remember, you died with Christ. And he continues. He says, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly or sensual indulgence. In other words, these things will look like they'll make you a good person, but they have no power to transform you from the inside out. Just trying to be good will feel like flexing a muscle until you can't flex it anymore because it's external, trying to work its way in. And Paul's saying, no, 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 the gospel works its way from the inside out. It transforms your desires from the inside out so you don't want to sin anymore. Why are you still trying to be a good person through these laws when you've been set free from all that nonsense? Wisdom of self-religion says this, and you'll see this in a lot of self-help thinking. If I'm hard on myself, I'll become a better person. If I'm hard on my... Have you ever believed that lie? All right. Well, as the only one in here, apparently, that believed that lie, I'll just tell you, it's a lie. Because what we do is we, we sin, we mess up, and then we go, what I really need to do is be harder on myself, and that way I'll do better. That's a lie, and what it comes from is the wisdom of self-made religion. That's not the gospel. These elementary principles of the world, I want to break down the Greek for you again, if that's okay. Stoikion is the word, and it basically means this. One of a row, a letter in an alphabet, or an element of knowledge. It's the fundamentals. It's the basic components of an idea or of the material world. It's the first principles. Like, in science, the stoichion would be these. The, the building blocks of everything, right? The, the elements, the, the foundations. And he's using this word to say the, 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 the building blocks of human wisdom, the building blocks of morality, the law, ethics, things like that. In the Greco-Roman world, it was a philosophy of ethics. It was the virtues. It was, if you just do these things, you'll be a good person. These are the the foundational principles. In the Jewish culture, it was the expanded law. It was the 600-some-odd laws that they made that if you just do this, you'll be pleasing to God. Paul is saying, this attempt to be a good person by following these sort of principles, it has no power to actually set you free from sin. It has no power. It ends up just making you feel guilty for messing up. And then you think you have to be harder on yourself to try again. 
And then you get exhausted. Has anyone been here with this, right? You get exhausted and you think in your head that this is the Christian life. And Paul's like, this is not the Christian life. This is not the gospel. We died to trying to be good. That's what it means to say we died to the law. Because it has no power to transform us. Let me be clear. The gospel is not do more, be better. The gospel is die so that you might live. It's not do more, be better. I don't want us walking around trying to do more and be better. That's wisdom from self-made religion. The gospel says, you've died with Christ, so go ahead and let that thing die and watch new life spring up from it. That's the gospel. But you have to die in order to live. You have to surrender. You have to let it go. Colossians 3, I love, I love how Paul combines two ideas that seem completely contradictory within like two lines of each other. Colossians 3, verse 3 and 5, he says, for you died, past tense, and your life is now hidden with Christ. Two verses later, he goes, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Well, which is it? Have we died or do we need to put things to death? And his answer, of course, because it's Paul, is yes. <laughs> what he's saying is your identity, your core identity is that you have died. Now, here's how you live out of that core identity. You put things to death that need to die. Does that make sense? Let me translate it. You are a fireman or firewoman, fire person. <laughs> that is your core identity. So it makes sense that you would go and fight fires. It wouldn't make sense if you were a fire person and said, can I be a fire person and never fight a fire? What kind of question is that? That's the question we ask in Christianity all the time. Can, can I... Can I die but not actually have to put anything to death? You see it? No, no, no. Your identity is you have died with Christ. So our natural reaction to who we are is that we will put things to death that don't belong. The sin, the selfishness. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. Why? Because you've already died. Does that make sense? So we died to sin. We're commanded to consider ourselves dead to sin, and we died to the law. It's like this. Jesus held our sin in one hand. He held the law in the other, and he put them both to death on the cross. Our old self, our sin, and our attempts to be good enough. In this hand, all of our sin. In this hand, all of our attempts to be good enough for God. And he took both of them, and he nailed them to the cross, and he put them both to, to death and buried them. So here's the truth of dying with Christ and being buried with him. The first one, you are not your sin. Guys, if you hear anything this morning, hear me on this. You are not your sin. Your old self has died. Reject the zombie identity. What's a zombie? Zombie's the undead, right? Zombie's the thing that's dead, that walks around like it's alive, even though it's dead. You are not the walking dead. That is not your real identity. One more question for zombie lovers in here. How do you kill a zombie? Yell it out. Headshot, right? 
Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Listen, with a zombie, it's right here. And that's what it is for us too. Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. You want to put that zombie identity to death? It takes a headshot. You got to renew how you think about yourself, that you're dead to sin. You got to renew every morning how you view yourself in your mind. The battle is in your mind. The battle is in your thoughts. That's where the enemy is waging war. You are not your sin. Listen, I'm going to say it again. You are not your sin. You are not your sin. You are not your sin. Do not believe the enemy's lies on that one. All right, number two. The truest thing about you now is not that you're a sinner. You have my permission to stop calling yourself a sinner. That is not your identity. Do you sin? Yes. Do I? Absolutely. Is that your identity? Are you a sinner? Is that what's truest about you? Not anymore. Because that old self died with Christ. The truest thing about you now is that you've been set free from sin. That's the truest thing about you. In regards to sin, that is more true according to the scriptures. That is more true than calling yourself a sinner. All right, which leads to this. You are commanded. It is not a suggestion. It is not a suggestion. Paul does not write this as, maybe you, if you feel like it, you could... It's a command. You are commanded to consider yourself dead to sin. You don't have permission. I love this. You don't have permission to think poorly about yourself anymore. Those of you who have felt poorly about yourself for years, I'm now taking that away. You don't have my permission, the Bible's permission, Jesus' permission, God's permission, or this church's permission to think poorly about yourself anymore. I revoke that right. You don't have it anymore. You're a new creation in Christ because your old self is dead. You're to consider yourself dead to sin. You don't get to think poorly about yourself anymore. Last one. And this may be new to some of us. It's new to me. You may need to grieve your old life in order to step into your new one. It may seem weird to grieve sin. But it may be the reason why it's tagging along and you can't seem to get rid of it. Because that happens when we don't grieve things well. It, it, it's, it tags along and stays with us. So you may need to look at your old life that's dead. And you may need to just have a cry session about it. Like you may need to just look at it and weep. And then turn to the one who can really comfort you. Part of bearing your sin might mean grieving it. Sin, you were with me for so long. You, man, you, you and I, we went through some hard times together. And, and, and you comforted me when no one else would. You were with me when no one else would. But you know what? You're a liar. And you didn't bring much good into my life. So I'm going to let you go now. And get something better. All right, so here's our response, guys. Romans 6, 2 through 4. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
So if I could have everybody stand. We're just going to declare these truths over our lives. Listen, I know this is kind of weird for some people to do this, and I I get it, but there's something powerful about declaring truth out loud, like not just in your head, but out loud. It takes on tangible form when we can declare truth out loud. It it, it takes on a power and a life of its own. So we're just going to declare these truths out loud, okay? So I just want you to repeat after me, all right? I was crucified with Christ. I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. All right, that's good. It's warming up. Now I want you to say it like you really mean it, like you believe it, okay? And close your eyes if that helps, all right? Repeat after me. I was crucified with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. I died with Christ. I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. I was buried with Christ. All right, and one more. This is what we're going to say together, okay? So repeat after me. I am dead to sin. I am dead to sin. But I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. I am dead to sin. But I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Worship team, can you come on back up here? Stay standing with me if you would. Uh, this morning, if you have any questions, you can text my phone. But this morning I was asking about... This morning I was praying and I was asking God if he wanted me to target something specifically and I, I saw this picture of something sitting on someone's chest, like a heavy thing on their chest and I thought it might be asthma at first, but then he brought clarity to that and he said, no, it's fear and anxiety. And so I feel like what he's saying is there's a lot of people in the room that are dealing with fear and anxiety and it's just sitting on your chest and it's sitting heavy. And so I just want to pray against that right now. I believe God's going to set you free this morning from that fear that's been weighing on you, that anxiety that's been heavy on you for all different reasons. I think for some of you, it's about your future. For some of you, it's about your present. But whatever it is, I just want to pray against that. I want you to join me in that, okay? All right, so let's pray. All right, this is your part. I want you just to repeat after me. I want you to pray this out loud, even if you're not dealing with fear. We're just going to all do this together because we're a community. We're going to fight for each other. Just pray this out loud. In Jesus' name, I renounce a spirit of fear. I break my agreement with fear. In Jesus' name, I renounce a spirit of anxiety. I break my agreement with anxiety. anxiety. All right, now I just want to pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, I agree with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we just come against fear and anxiety in Jesus' name. We break every bondage of fear in this place. Every chain of fear and anxiety we break now in Jesus' name. Every chain broken off of their shoulders, off of their heart, off of their mind. Every lie and deception broken in Jesus' name. God, we declare that we're going to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That we're not going to believe the lie of fear anymore. Fear, leave now in Jesus' name. Anxiety, leave now in Jesus' name. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to pour out your peace right now, your comfort, Lord. 
God, I pray that that heaviness would go and your lightness would come. Every chain broken. Father, we declare that we have died with you, Jesus. That we were buried with you. That our old self, that our old sin, that's not who we are anymore. And we're not just a miserable sinner. That all of that has been put to death. Father, we surrender any area of our life that's trying to be a zombie, that's trying to be a walking dead in our life. God, we surrender that to you this morning. Father, if there's any area that we need to grieve, if there's any area of our past that we need to let go, God, I pray this week you would help us to grieve that. God, if we need to cry, God, I ask for the tears to come. We don't want that old life anymore. And this morning, we look in the mirror and we count ourselves dead to sin. In Jesus' name.